Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. The best way to stay connected to the life of the church is downloading our app. Simply go to the App Store, search for Church Center, and download the app and enter the information for our church. This will connect you to our church community. I pray the following presentation will inspire you to come closer to God in this journey of faith. Enjoy listening. Good morning, ladies. Hello. Guys, I love the Midwest. Man, I love the Midwest. Um, last night, well, Thursday night when I got here and I was driving, I was like, oh, I miss the Midwest. And then yesterday when I could like see the Midwest, I was like, I actually might want to move back to the Midwest. And I haven't like felt it like that. So thank you for being so welcoming and so kind. It has been just so anticipated. We have prayed for so long for this event. I am um, just going to pray. I'm going to pray before we get started. God, I just come before you and I ask in your name and by the power of your Holy Spirit for your word to be made known today. I am your vessel and I just ask that you speak through me, to me, and into each heart and life that's here today. God, we're yours. We're your women. We're made in your image and in your likeness. And today is yours. Have your way, God, and we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I get started, I'm going to take my earring out because I can hear it clicking, and that's going to be real not fun. He's saying yes. Good job, Haley. I could hear it, man. I wondered, but you know, you never <laughs> Guys, whenever I would preach at the church I came from, I always wore big earrings, and they always made me take them off, and I didn't think about it. And here we are. Um, I'm Haley. Hi. I have been exhausted anxious, confused, frustrated, and super uncomfortable the last year. Anyone else? Yeah, okay, great. I'm a good company. I have been super uncomfortable, and I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like suffering. Pain sucks. And I, I like what comes on the other side when I endure through suffering and pain, the growth that can come, but I hate going through it. Anyone else? Guys, I don't like being uncomfortable. And about 15 months ago, okay, before 15 months ago, but 15 months ago, God told us that we were no longer supposed to be in Michigan. Um, but I had this like list that I never wrote out, but like in my heart, if I was like, all of the places in the world I will never move to. Orange County, California was number one. So imagine my surprise when God said, that's what we're doing. But it was... Two years ago, October, my husband was out in Orange County for a wedding. He came home, he sat down, and I had just, while he was gone, I had surprised him with a downstairs renovation of our home. And we had been saving for this and prepping for it, but like, guys, we had just redone our home. It's like, beautiful. It's like my dream. He comes in, sits down in this newly renovated downstairs, and he was like, look, when I was out there, someone asked if I would interview for a youth ministry position at Saddleback. And I said, <laughs> never doing that. And God literally checked my heart in that moment, and he said, are you really surrendered to me if you're not willing to do anything that I ask? I was like, okay, you right, you right, I will pray. So I did the good girl thing, and we prayed, and we did, and I actually saw God's heart, you know, because like, I don't want to be like that person. So I prayed, and after about two weeks, we both were at peace with God had still called us to Michigan. And I was like so relieved, like, 
Dodge that bullet. But every seven to 10 days for six months, God would put Saddleback and Orange County on my heart and I would pray for it. And I would just ask him to make it super clear if we were ever supposed to move there. But I would add a caveat, like have him call on Friday or have someone drive into our driveway and knock on the door and be like, you're supposed to be at Saddleback. Like I wanted him to make it that kind of clear. And those days would come and go and nothing would happen. (laughs) Still in Michigan. Guys, I loved Michigan. I loved my home. I loved my job. I loved my team. My kids were born there. I was in driving distance from my in-laws, which hadn't happened in a long time. I had deep-rooted community that I hadn't had since college. I loved Michigan, and I would have stayed there forever. But three months after I started praying for Orange County, And for Saddleback, God started to do a little bit of this around the roots of my tree. In January of 2022, I remember reading a Bible story to my kids, and I said, so basically, guys, what this means is that when there seems to be no way, God always has a way. And the Spirit spoke to me in the deepest way I'd ever, ever experienced. And he said, something hard is about to happen, but it's okay. I'll be with you. It's okay, I'll be with you. So I started contemplating like, what could that be? I'm gonna lose my husband or my kids. But I had for probably five to eight hours, the deepest peace I'd ever experienced because I knew it would be okay. He told me it would. Little did I know that it was him who began to prune the roots around my tree. He made circumstances, relationships, scenarios, really uncomfortable. Like, I was baffled. Like, what happened? He was shaking us awake to hear his voice in this area of lives, our lives because I wouldn't have. I was not listening for it. I would have stayed there forever. I was perfectly comfortable. Are you serious? Like, this is where we're staying. But did you know when you transplant a tree, first you want to know where you're going to plant your tree, right? You got to make sure there's good soil, good sunlight, a way to water it for a year. You want to dig up the hole that it's gonna go into. You don't wanna fertilize it for a year though after you transplant it because it could shock the roots and kill the tree. But before you transplant a tree, you pre-prune the roots with a really sharp spade. And you go around the base of the tree and you kinda get a soil ball ready. You don't wanna dig it up yet, but when you transplant a tree, you take soil with it. So you get it ready, then you cover it back up with soil and you wait till the right season. It's either right before winter, before the first frost, when all of the growth had happened, or right before spring, when the growth occurs again. And y'all, we came into Michigan broken, and we were hurting, and we had healed, and God had provided in amazing ways, and we had grown. And he was like, it's time to move. So three months after the very uncomfortable tree pruning began, God spoke to both Shay and I, and we were like, man, we better fast and pray about whether or not we're still called here. And we did, and after two days, we both knew God had released us from that place, but we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what was next. It was much like the Israelites in the Old Testament when they were wandering around in the desert and they had the tabernacle, and God's glory would descend on the tabernacle and his presence would be among his people. When he wanted them to move on, his cloud of you know, his presence or the fire would raise up above the tabernacle and the Israelites would know it's time to get packed up. God's about to move. 
And then he would move ahead of them. They didn't know where they were going, how long it would take to get there, or how long they would be in the next place. But when God's presence would stop, they would unpack. His presence would descend back into the tabernacle, and there they waited for him to move again. That's exactly what it felt like. God's presence had risen up, and we didn't know where he was going to go, but we were getting packed up mentally. The next day, that same spirit voice that I experienced in January of that year told me, I'm taking you to Orange County to Saddleback. Watch me do it. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God said it to me and nothing was going to change my mind. And I held it openly because I had a lot of people be like, girl, are you sure? Or my dad was like, Haley, now just in case God says something else, like, are you willing to hear that? And I was like, absolutely. But I know that he told me this. So I started packing for California and purging our home, like literally packing because his presence had raised up. And I, in this moment, had a spirit flesh thing happen that I had not experienced at this intensity before. When God said, watch me do it, I said, okay, I will sell everything I have. I will live on pennies. I will change trash cans for a job. I will live in the smallest place ever to be there because that is where I am called. And at the same time, my flesh said, absolutely not. Are you serious? I'm super grateful that God's spirit gave my spirit the power to obey over the next several months. And how could I not? Because he did sea splitting, fish and loaf multiplying things to get us to Orange County. And I wish I had the time to tell you all of it because it still blows my mind. I, on paper, it doesn't make sense. We should not be where we are, but God. He did miraculous things, and I was so excited to watch him work. And then when it was time to transplant our tree, and he picked it up, and he moved it into Orange County, and my roots began to settle, I, I mean, I, I was still in pain. Like, I, I was just cut off from my community. Tree roots spread out, and they connect to other trees. And when a tree is sick, healthy trees send nutrients over that way. And all of that was gone. And I was in this new place, but it was new. And I, I just walked through the Red Sea, so absolutely I'm excited to be here. And I started assessing my new orchard like, wow, look at the mountains and the ocean and the desert is right there. Like, absolutely, this is fantastic. And the people were a lot nicer than I expected. And people were inviting us over because we were new on staff, so they wanted to get to know us. But after about two months of the newlywed phase of being in my new orchard, my perspective changed. And I started assessing the orchard with comparison and discontentment and complaining. Like, look at her tree. Are you serious? I can't afford a fence like that around my tree. I can't buy those clothes. Guys, I've never lived in such a fashion-forward place in my life. And I love fashion. And I, I then had to have the fashion, but I didn't have the money for the fashion, but it didn't matter because I wanted to fit in. And I started to look at the gardener who had transplanted me, made my tree, knew what was best, provided for me to be there. And I said, I think you made a mistake. I got this. I see how you blessed everyone else. I think you missed me. Like, I got this. And I started dumping fertilizer on the roots of my tree, forcing growth. And instead, I was killing my tree. Guys, I was binge eating and binge watching TV to numb pain. And I had struggled with eating disorders before, and like I knew what was happening, but I was dying inside. 
I missed community. People started, stopped inviting us over because we weren't new anymore. And people were so busy, they couldn't be friends with us. And I had gone from a job I loved to being a stay-at-home mom. And I love my children. They're amazing. But it's really hard and really uncomfortable to die to yourself so much. And I started having health issues, moments when I literally thought I would pass out, so I needed to like sleep for an hour, but I was a stay-at-home mom. Like, how do you do that? And I was nauseous all the time, and I didn't know what was going on in my head or my heart. And I remember just thinking, like, I don't want to think anymore by the end of the day. So what did I do? Turn on another show. Or you pick up your phone. But it's not that I wasn't thinking. It's that I was letting something else tell me what to think about. And my perspective shifted from the gardener to the tree, to me, to what I thought I needed, to what I thought would fill me up. And I started spending money that we didn't have, and I always had a reason for it, so like, I justified. Like, this is the last time we surely need this for the house or this thing to do this thing with it. But it was me just trying to have control, some semblance of normalcy in my life, something that looked like Michigan. But I wanted to obey. Like, I wanted to be where I was, but I didn't at the same time, and I thought I was doing a great job of trying to fill myself up, but at the same time, I knew I wasn't because I was dying inside. I was terrified of so many things, so much so I was sleeping with my Bible under my pillow because I just needed it close, and I was complaining, and God convicted me, and he said, you're not complaining with your mouth, you're complaining with your heart, because I was just exalting myself, like, God, do you see how much I've given up for you? Give up a home with a pool for an apartment in a postage stamp backyard. Can't even have a dog. I gave up financial extra for like pinching pennies. I gave up my friends and my family that was semi-close for people who don't even know I exist or know who I am. And I had removed my, my focus, my gaze, my perspective from the gardener to the tree. Saying, like, why, why are you not doing this for me? And I saw God's favor in a completely different light than he intended. Because his favor isn't money. It's not affluence. It's, it's not fashion. It's not all these things I was looking at in my orchard comparing myself to. It's him. Jesus came to suffer and die, and he had the favor of God. Why do I think I will avoid suffering if I want the favor of God? But much like in the Garden of Eden, when God created man and woman and he put them in the garden and he made all of this vegetation for them to enjoy, to cultivate, to rest under, to play in. Guys, I love climbing trees. Does anyone else love climbing trees? Like I would have been all over those things. Like you just get to play in the Garden of Eden and rest and work. And God said, it's all for you. Eat of any of it except that one. Because he was giving them a choice. God gives us a choice. And so when the serpent approached Eve and he made her question what the gardener had said, what the gardener had made, what the gardener really meant, and instead of going to the gardener with her question and saying, what do you say? She went like this. And her gaze went from the gardener to the tree. And she took and she ate and sin entered humanity. And then Adam and Eve used the trees to cover themselves and hide themselves. And they took what God meant for life and they ushered in death because they moved their gaze from the creator to the tree. And I had done the same thing. And inside, I felt like 
I was dying. I was really good at dumping fertilizer all over my roots. And I felt like this storm was happening in me. It was stirring, and I would complain about, God, in your, in your word, you were literally in a storm with the disciples, and you quieted it with a whisper. What is happening? Why aren't you quieting my circumstances the way I think you should? And he told me, Haley, before I quieted that storm, I was in it. I was in the storm with the disciples before I said a word. He might not bring peace to my storm, but him quieting my circumstances isn't the peace. He is the peace. He is the peace in my storm. He is the joy in my suffering. He is the fullness of life in all of the empty of the world. And as he began to show me these things that were happening inside of me and the things that I was trying to latch onto, he invited me into something, into rest. But at first I was complaining about that too, like, God, I'm so tired. And your word says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I was like, and I'm tired. I don't feel rested. In Psalms, you say, you give your beloved sleep. I am not sleeping well. Are you serious? And then I started doing research. God has brought up Matthew 11, 28 to 30, more times than I can count in the last 15 months of my life. So I've done various studies on this. And let me tell you, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And I read all those words and I was like, this isn't easy. Your yoke is supposed to be easy. Okay, so a yoke was made for work. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who would like a nap, and I'll take care of all your suffering. He said, come to me. And it's an invitation we can choose to accept or not. But no matter what you're doing, you are giving a response. If you stay back, that's your response. If you come near, that's your response. And he's saying, yoke yourself to me. So a yoke was meant for oxen who were plowing a field or doing work in a field, and an older, more experienced, stronger ox would have been yoked to a younger one that didn't know what they were doing. And the older ox would show the younger ox what to do, but it would bear the brunt of the burden. And then it says, my yoke is easy. Well, a yoke, this yoke specifically, is a Palestinian yoke made of wood, and it is tailor-made to the ox that wears it. Easy doesn't mean easy in our English language. It means well-fitting. God calls us to himself, says, attach yourself to me. I will show you what to do. I have something for you that fits you well, but you got to do it with me. The yoke becomes a burden when we pull against it in a direction Jesus never intended. It becomes heavy when we take the burdens back that we've been trying to give to him and we lay more load on our shoulders instead of trusting him to show us what to do, instead of looking at the gardener for his perspective and filtering everything else through that. He says, come to me, I give you rest for your soul. He suffered and died. He knows the worst suffering. He's with us in it, in the discomfort. But he will give us rest for our souls, and he will fill us up. But we have to choose to yoke ourselves to him. 
And then he showed me another invitation. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. I'm one of those people, I don't know about you, but I like quick clean up my house before anyone's gonna come over, right? I was this person, I'm working on not being that person. Even like the UPS person, it's like, hello? Like, don't look in my house, it's disgusting. But it's like I wanted to create a perception that I was like, cleaned up, tidy, had it together. Didn't matter if it was destroyed in five minutes after company coming, I wanted you to know I thought of you and that it's clean. Jesus is, he's not banging on the door and he's not yelling for you. He's, I'm here. He's inviting you to invite him in and he doesn't care what it looks like. He doesn't want you to clean it up. He's gonna clean it up with you, but not yet. He literally wants to come in and have a meal with you. This meal talked about in Revelation is the main meal of the day. The meal after all of the work is done. Not a quick snack, not a quick drop by like, hey, how you doing? Which we don't really do anymore anyways. Jesus is intentionally coming over for a long, slow, intimate meal and conversation with you. He is not rushed. He is not hurried. He's not looking around like, when's the last time she cleaned up this place? I mean, you can hide everything in the back if you want. He'd rather sit with you though. I would rather be Mary at the feet of Jesus than Martha rushing around, but I'm so often Martha. But he wants to teach us, invite us to come, let him in so he can sit at your table and eat with you, talk to you, and you will clean things up with him. But with him, he is not rushed. He is not hurried, even though you're yoked to him doing work. We are a hurried, rushed, anxious culture. So what I'm inviting you into today, what he's inviting you into today, is not a call to do more. It's actually a call to less, so you can experience more of him. Because he will, it will be always the only one that will fill you. So how do we do this? How do I yoke myself to Jesus? Well, first of all, you don't. He yokes himself to you. We can't even accept his invitation without his power and his grace. You just need a willing heart that wants to come. And then you start by assessing your tree. But you assess your tree with the expert, the gardener. I love self-assessment. I think it's great when we can sit down and look inside and really ask the hard questions about what's happening in here. But we can't do it without the expert. He's the one that made your tree. And we can ask, God, would you reveal any grievous way in me? In Psalm 51, I love this. Verse nine, David is crying out. This is after he sinned with Bathsheba. And then after the prophet, prophet has come to him and said, this is, this is what you gotta do. You were wrong. And he cries out to God. And here he says, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. Ask God to give you a willing spirit to assess the tree. What is on the fruit of your tree? Is there fruit? Where are your roots? What are your roots soaking up? What are they embedded into? 
Does the outside of your tree look nice, but the inside is rotting? Super real example, in Michigan, we had one of the tallest, oldest catalpa trees right next to our house. It towered two times above our home. It was massive, and I loved it. And two years ago, it was struck by lightning. We went outside, and there were like four-foot pieces of bark sticking up out of the ground. It was smoking a little bit. And after a couple days, you could tell these, these branches were dark. So we're like, oh, we're probably going to have to remove those branches. One of them's kind of like hanging right over the house. So we had an expert come over. And they said, so you do, you do need to take those branches down. And that's all you have to do, but the tree is dying from the inside. It's rotting. And it will die, and then it might fall on your home. And it would have demolished our home. And no matter how many Christmas ornaments I had put on that thing, no matter how many bows and how much glitter from my daughter's bedroom I had gone out and thrown on that thing, it would not have changed the fact that on the inside it was dying and it needed to be cut down to save our lives. How's your tree? What's happening on the outside of your tree? What's happening on the inside of your tree? What does your vocabulary say? What are you talking about? Who are you talking to? What's the attitude of your heart? Are you complaining, comparing? Are you uplifting, encouraging, exhorting, praising? How are you using your time? What are you using your time on? Not just time doing things, but mentally. I go to rest with my kids and I, I am not mentally present. What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my effort, my resources, my money? How is your tree? Because the evidence on the outside of the tree helps you know where your roots are really planted. So that's the next step, is we have to address the tree. Actually, wait, I wanted to say this. In assessment, there are actually four really great questions that Rebecca Lyons has in her Rhythms of Renewal book. It's a quadrant. And she suggests doing this four times a year, and I don't do it that often, but I think it would be really powerful if we did. You ask, what's going well? And then you take significant time to answer that with the Holy Spirit. Like, what's going well, Lord? What am I doing well with you? What fruit do I see? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Because Jesus says a bad tree won't bear good fruit and a good tree won't bear bad fruit. And then you ask, what's not going well? What do we need to work on? Then you ask, what's confused? And that could be something like, I need to have a tough conversation with my kid or my spouse, but I don't know where to start. I want to build this character quality, but I don't know where to start. And then you ask, what, does the, what do the people around me say? And you find a couple of people that you really trust, that really know you, that are really in your life, and you ask them what they see in you and what you need to work on. And then you have to be willing to hear it and receive it. You have to be willing to listen so that we can do the next part, which is address the tree. But you, again, can't address your own tree because addressing the tree involves pruning it. And you're not the gardener. But you have to be willing to let the gardener go to work. Let him take the fertilizer bag away from you. Go with him because you're next to him. You're yoked to him. But let him show you what to do. In John 15, 1 to 4, it says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. And my father is the gardener. How perfect. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, which, ladies, will hurt. But wouldn't you rather a branch die off of your tree than your soul? He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, 
he prunes. So it will be even more fruitful. I don't like that promise very much. Because that means even when I'm growing, he's going to prune something so we can grow more. That means there's a promise that we're never meant to be fully comfortable because we wouldn't grow. But his promise is that he's in it with us. He's your peace in the storm. He's the gardener. He promises to heal you. He promises to make the growth happen. But even in branches that grow, he prunes them. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, says Jesus. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In the passage of John 15, remain occurs multiple times, and it has multiple meanings. In this section of John 15, remain, it comes from the Greek word meno, and it means it's not transit, it doesn't move. It stays in one place, and it's a spatial remain, like being yoked next to Jesus. You remain in him, right next to him, and he's with you. He's not going to move. He's right there. So when you're addressing your tree, you're right there with him. And addressing your tree means looking at the things that you have heard from the Lord, that he might have spoken through other people, that he speaks through his word. And you address the issues by redressing them. You let God take out what's not supposed to be there, and you let him put something back in. Because when you remove something, you need to replace it. If you remove a bad habit, something else will fill that slot. So we have to be intentional about what we're replacing. So we address and we redress at the same time with the gardener. Christ's invitation to open the door and let him in and have a meal with you is for you to know him. You won't know how to assess, address, or redress your tree with him if you don't know who he is. And not who you think he is, who he really is. And we learn that. We will be learning that until the day we die. But he shows you who he is in his word. He is the word. Jesus is the word in flesh. So if you want to know what he has made you to be, you first need to know who he is. And then he will show you with this well-fitted yoke what it means to take down the things that are idols in your life to take down the things that you are worshiping, the things that have your fear, your attention, your adoration, other than him. Because Oswald Chambers says, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you don't fear God, you fear everything else. And these steps to address and redress, they might stir up some fear that's not the fear of God, unless you fix your eyes on the gardener, because we are going to look different from the world. And that means we're going to make some decisions with Jesus that feel pretty uncomfortable, like how we use our time, our money, our resources, our brains. So when you're redressing, might I suggest something that comes along in my brain that attaches to fasting, the idea of fasting, when you give up something, like food, you have a hunger. That hunger reminds you who really fills you, and then you turn your adoration and your worship back to the creator. 
What if when we're addressing and redressing the tree, whatever it is God wants to remove, when you have a hunger pain for that thing, it reminds you to fix your eyes on the gardener. So might I suggest before you turn on your phone or the TV or go for a bite of that thing or go to call up a girlfriend or someone else to gossip before you go to Jesus, open the word. Let him come in first. Fix your eyes back on him and then filter everything else through him and he will tell you what to do. Dane Ortland in his book Deeper talks about our relationship with Christ is not coming into relationship with him and then adding all of this stuff on. Like these spiritual disciplines and serving in this way and using my money in service this way and, and then that makes us better. No, we, we actually come into relationship with Jesus and then we go deeper into who he is and out of that, he tells you what to do. Because in our own strength, we can't bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So John 15, five to six says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. The remain in these two verses means this. Christians are said to be rooted, as it were, in Christ. Knit to him by the spirit they have received. Spirit is a capital S. You are knit to Jesus by his very spirit that you have received from him. Hence, one is said to be in Christ or in God, and conversely, Christ or God is said to be in one or in us. When you step into relationship with Jesus, when you accept his invitation to invite him in, his spirit resides in you, it, you've received it from him, and he can't be separate from himself. So this remain is he is in you, not going anywhere spatial, and in you. Then the next two verses have a different meaning. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This remain, ladies, it means something that has permanently established itself in you and always exerts its power. He is in you permanently, exerting his power so you can stay in him and bear fruit. I don't know about you, but that, that feels pretty restful. <laughs> Doesn't make it easy. Yoking yourself to Christ is a work of the heart, of the spirit, of the mind, of the will. But he's doing it in you. You just have to have a willing heart. The last step is to remain we assess, we address, we redress, and we'll be doing this process our entire lives, and you remain. Because when you remain, your roots are set in a place, the roots of your spirit. Because God can transplant you, but if your roots are in the gardener, in his word, in who he is, it won't matter where you go, because he's in you and you're in him. So how do we do this? How do we remain next to him, allowing his power to be exerted in us? John 15, nine to 10 says, as the father has loved me, 
so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. This remain is the equivalent to persevere or to keep oneself always worthy of his love. I don't know about you, but I cannot be worthy of his love on my own. But his power exerted in me, it can, it perseveres. I persevere with him and I can remain worthy of his love. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Then you jump down to verses 12 and 17 and it says my command. So if we keep his commands, we remain in his love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command, love each other, he repeats. His command is to love, that's how we remain, is we love, but you were first rooted in his love because he first loved us. First Peter 1, 22 to 25 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere sisterly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding remaining word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Our orchard is gonna fall apart on the outside. You know what I'm saying? It's not always gonna look great, but the word of the Lord remains forever and that word abides in you and you abide in him and he affects your roots because it's where your roots are that matter and the roots are the motivation of your heart. What do you worship? I was worshiping myself, trying to love myself instead of letting him love me and loving him in return with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. The heart in this passage from Deuteronomy is the seat of the sense, affections, everything inside of you in here. And then your soul is everything. It's a combination of your mental acts, of your will, and your character. And then might means to the highest degree. So if if I want to remain in him and him in me, I have to let him teach me how to love him literally with all I am and all I have. And the only way I can do that is being in him, opening his word, knowing him, knowing who the gardener is so I know who this tree is, so I can earnestly love the people around me. And the reason this is uncomfortable is because you have to die to yourself. But Jesus says, love as I loved you, and he died actually for you. And our world tells us that we should be, you know, like protecting ourselves with all these things that make us feel good or we need to be pursuing opportunities and be doing this thing and this thing and this thing to make us better and more important and more necessary so we know that we're okay and we feel like we're enough. And Jesus says to do the opposite. So I was just doing a little research on what the Bible says about love because our God is love. The whole word shows his love. So these are just a few pieces this is how we're to love. We are to be patient, kind, not envying, not boastful, not proud, not dishonoring to others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, 
Lord, help me there. Keeping no record of wrongs, we have to forgive. We do not delight in evil. We rejoice with the truth we always protect, always trust, always persevere, always hope. We are humble. We think of others as better than ourselves, and we take an interest in others. We die to ourself. That is so hard. We do not gossip. We build others up according to their needs. We keep confidence. We do not lie. We are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. We encourage one another. We pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. We sharpen one another. We bind everything together in perfect harmony with this love. We give freely. We are gentle. We bear with others. We cover all offenses because perfect love casts out fear. I cannot do this on my own. And the motive of my heart is usually not out of a place of love, but this is how we remain in him. And the only one that can change the motive of your heart is him who resides in you permanently, not moving from you, exerting his power in you, bearing fruit in you. You just have to let him. Be at peace, ladies. He is your peace in the storm, knowing he will show you what to do in every moment of your life. That might mean closing your eyes and taking a minute, taking a deep breath and saying, Spirit, show me. It also means you're gonna make some mistakes and you're gonna have to apologize and be humble. But ultimately it's him and for his glory. And he wants your worship because we're all made to worship him and we will all worship something. So my question is, how's your tree? How's your tree on the outside and the inside? What do you need to invite the gardener in today to, to address, to redress? He loves you. And he wants you to come to him so he can yoke himself to you in his love and do work with you. We have a few minutes, so we're gonna listen to a song by Cody Carnes called Nothing Else. And during that time, I just want you to sit with the Spirit and ask Him what He wants to say to you. And then I'll come back up and pray for us. Thank you, God, so much for being enough. And if you de never did one more thing for us, just who you are, is enough. May we have a desire, a burning passion in us for you. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Light that fire inside of us as you always exert your power in us and make us holy as you are holy for your glory. God, may we no longer conform to the passions of our former ignorance, but because you who are holy has called us May we be holy in our conduct, but by changing with you, God, where our roots are planted, what we worship, what our eyes are fixed on, because where our eyes are fixed is the direction we will head. So may it not be on the waves and the storm, but may it be on the peace in you and who you are, the one that is always with us, the one that made us, the one that knows us, the one that loves us the most. God, we are yours, and we welcome you continually into this place today as we go and listen to more of what you have to say. Have all of us, Jesus, we love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray, and all God's women said, amen. Thank you, ladies.
Thanks again for listening. If you are located in the Marion area, we would love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, please visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.